Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your composer host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and each Wednesday I put out a new interview with a composer or songwriter about their creative process. You can download or stream all the episodes for free at ComposerQuest.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. The intro theme you just heard was written for this episode by today's guest. I'm excited to bring you my talk with a very talented indie game composer, Rich Freeland, also known as Disasterpiece. Rich has composed music for over a dozen games, including one of my personal favorites, Fez. For those who haven't played Fez, it's a really unique puzzle game in which your character Gomez is bestowed with the magical power of the Fez, which allows him to see in three dimensions, unlike his two-dimensional neighbors. Rich and I talk about how he ties music theory into his games in really unique ways. We also get into some technical game design talk, but I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get into our talk, I have some Composer Quest news. In the last episode, I announced the 8th Composer Quest Quest. In honor of the upcoming Star Wars Day, may the 4th be with you, your challenge is to write a piano piece for four hands. Send me your piece on or before April 23rd, charlie at composerquest.com, and your piece might be chosen to be performed here in Minnesota on May 4th. For more details, go to composerquest.com quest8. New patron announcement. A generous listener has pledged to give $3 per episode, which means I got to write him a custom jingle. Enjoy. Listens to podcasts while he's out at sea Cause he's working for America in the U.S. Navy And he's writing his rock opera for you and me He's Damon Goodrich Housecut Welcome to the Goody Thanks, Damon, for becoming an official ComposerQuest patron. If anyone else listening is interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com slash charlie. Thanks for considering it. Now, let's get on to my talk with Rich Freeland. Hey, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I am excellent. I would put on my video chat, but it's... uh. My laptop is under my desk. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you just see my legs. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't need that. <laughs> well, thanks so much for agreeing to be on Composer Quest here. My pleasure. I was playing your generative music program, January. Could you kind of describe that for people who haven't seen it? Sure. So January is... It's this game where you control this little guy and he he walks around in the snow and there are all these different kinds of snowflakes that are falling down and the different snowflakes generate different kinds of tones. Some of them will play octaves. Some of them will play harmony notes. Some of them will play chords. Some of them will change keys. 
So yeah, the idea is, is kind of to have the game be not too overwhelming to the player. They can just kind of play with it, and it, the, the game will make decisions on its own. But if you want to get more in-depth with it, you, you certainly can. Well, and it's cool that you let people export MIDI files, too, of their performance of walking around licking snowflakes. Have you heard back from anyone who's used those MIDI files to make a piece or anything like that? Yeah, that's my favorite feature in January because I really wanted to allow people to take what they had done and repurpose it or to turn it into a song. And yeah, I've I've had some people send me some things that they've made with January and I actually had one gentleman put together an entire EP of recordings based on little snippets that he put together in January. That made me feel really good just that I could be a part of that. generative music in your tracks and I guess for people who don't know what generative music is maybe you could kind of describe that there are just a lot of different methods of how to go about it and all I can speak to is what I did with January and I came up with this very specific way of generating tones and and notes and that was to remember the previous note and make an intelligent decision based on what the previous note was where to go next And the entire experience of January is based on that simple concept, which is to always be listening to the previous note and thinking about, okay, which notes would sound best coming after that? And then I would kind of figure that out and then input those notes into the code. And I worked that way for the five modes that are in the game across, I think, three octaves per mode. Um, So... It's listening for each interval in the mode. And if that interval has been triggered last, there's a couple of new intervals that it can go to. And it's intentionally limited and different for each interval so that as you play the game, it kind of creates this specific sort of curated musical experience. It's weighted in certain ways too. Like when you've just played the fifth of that mode, it's more, there's more of a tendency to go to the octave or the third, things like that where passing tones and tensions like fourths and, and sevenths and stuff and uh, seconds, those in certain situations, those are used less frequently. Hmm, cool. I think probably most people, myself included, when they first try the game, would think it's mostly random note generation just within the scales. Yeah. But it'd be interesting to hear that if it was actually random, because I'm sure you're version that you came up with is much more melodic yeah there's actually a lot of things that i did to make it more melodic if it was totally random you'd have a lot of these awkward leaps especially because i had three octaves per mode so you'd have these crazy ridiculous leaps from like you know a major seventh down like three octaves to a fourth and then back up to like it'd be insanity beautiful beautiful insanity (laughs) Yeah, a part of me actually kind of wants to try that now and see what that sounds like, because I'm sure it's totally different than what I came up with. And then there are other things, too, like there are all these little functions that I wrote to make the transition between keys 
be as seamless as possible. So there's actually this process that happens when you when you're in a key, like say I, I believe there are two keys in the game, C major and C minor. And if you suddenly change keys by licking a snowflake that will play a chord in that new key, the game will actually check all of the notes that are currently being played and say, okay, if this note is in the new key, let it continue to ring out. If it's not in the new key, let's stop it quickly so that it gets masked by the new chord and it doesn't bleed over and create this dissonance that would be outside of the new key. I feel like you could write a how-to-compose book based on this game. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's kind of like you're creating a robo-composer who's just kind of going off instinct, which is just what you've coded it to do, but still, yeah. It's kind of like robo-disaster piece kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a side note, I interviewed Dmitry Tomasko, he is an interesting composer when it comes to this kind of thing because he's thought about like the code that goes into how we compose. Mm. He he's done experiments where he like creates just a random set of notes and then he tries to constrain them in certain ways. So yeah, that's a talk for people to look back on. Too, yeah, maybe that's interesting. But, that sounds very different from how I go about it. Because I feel like for me, when I'm composing, there's definitely some kind of code maybe going on in my brain. But when I'm actually in the moment and writing music, it feels like pure intuition. It's like just developed over time, just all these decisions that I'm making. So when you're actually in the moment of composing, do music theory things come to you? Or is it just so ingrained that you don't really think in those terms? I think that I... When I'm actually in the process, I tend not to think about theory that much at all. When I tend to use theory more is when I'm stuck, when there's some place I want to go and I've tried a bunch of things and none of them are what I want, then I'll start accessing my own knowledge of theory or maybe going out and trying to learn something new. Sometimes I will feel everything out and not really consider a theory Other times, I'll almost do the opposite, where I'll confine myself to some kind of limitation or some kind of rule, and then I'll work around that, and then I'll have some kind of aha moment where I I reach something that's interesting, and then I kind of transition back into my common method, which would be to just kind of rely on my ears. What are some things that you've wanted to do in games, but you're limited technically? Yeah, that's happened a lot. The most recent example is I just worked on this game that came out in January called The Floor is Jelly. So in this game, the surfaces are all gelatinous. They kind of bounce and stuff when when things fall off of them, including you. It almost looks like a waterbed because the rain is plinking off of it everywhere and it's kind of got this fluidity to it. So we came up with this idea to assign musical notes to every single raindrop. And every time a raindrop hit a surface, it would play a tone. And we went through the trouble of creating this entire system 
with a music editor, you know, to have all these shifts in the harmony and uh, the volume and all this kind of stuff based on what the, the player's actions were. And when the frequency of the rain was not that great, it worked fabulously. It was amazing. It was really, really cool. But, you know, having the rain frequency be kind of slow, it doesn't really look that great because rain typically looks good when it's, you know, when it's coming down in waves. And the problem with that, of course, was a CPU problem. You know, as we started to try to do more with the system, we started to feel really handcuffed by it because of how resource intensive it was. And at the end of the day, we had to scratch the whole system because we couldn't get it to run smoothly enough. That was kind of a lesson for me because that exact same kind of story has happened to me on multiple occasions where I've worked really closely with a developer to prototype this crazy system and then it doesn't work. And I think the lesson that I took out of that is is to try to find the balance where I'm not wasting too much of this person's time <laughs> trying these crazy ideas. And also that a lot of times I feel like I've I've been able to do interesting things with a lot less technology. Yeah. Was your track Rain and C minor for that? Was that kind of what you came up with after you realized that you couldn't have a note for every raindrop? Yeah, so that track on the Floor is Jelly soundtrack, it's actually a collage of all the assets that make up the music experience for the rain world. And the way it actually works in the game is each level has a short loop of musical rain that's playing in the background. As you move through the the world, you're moving through these different harmonic spaces, and then there are actions in the world that generate these little melodies and these tones. Things like the first time your player jumps, there's a little musical idea. And there are certain puzzles that you encounter that generate different kinds of music. There's this puzzle that has to do with these flowers, and you have to land on these platforms in the correct sequence in order to unlock a window that you'll go through to get to the next level. And the idea was to have the music kind of help the player to recognize the correct sequence. And then there are all these different little melodies for when you unlock windows. So in the end, we were still able to do something that I think we're both very proud of. I think it turned out really well. And then... Yeah, it's funny because the soundtrack is such a different animal and trying to take this weird kind of non-linear experience and turn it into a linear piece of music is, is, an, is an entirely different beast. Thank you.
say you weren't limited by technology mm-hmm. and you had infinite processing power, do you have any ideas for how you could make the soundtracks more dynamic? One of the things I would like to do is something that has been done before, but I feel like it's not done enough. It first came up in Monkey Island back in the 90s when uh, LucasArts created this music system called iMuse. It was all MIDI, but it allowed the music to change dynamically on the fly as you moved between environments. And it could kind of read the situation and set up a trigger, say, okay, now we're going to switch pieces and we're going to do it in time and we're going to use this transitional piece. And that's something that personally I haven't done a lot of and I'd like to do at some point. But I think I'm actually kind of moving away from games a little bit. I've been interested in doing some more traditional things, doing a songwriter-type album. I've been writing music at the piano for the last year or so and collecting lyrics and that kind of thing and um, working with live performers, maybe doing some chamber music. Cool. But I have this problem, which I'm sure a lot of creative people have, which is just I have a lot of things that I want to do, and, and sometimes I get ahead of myself and start working on something, and then I realize oh shit, I don't really have the, the amount of time that I need to do this and I have to put it aside. So I have, I have a lot of things that I've half started that I really would like to get back to at some point, but you know, I, I have other obligations. So Yeah, no, that's the hard part. Yeah. Do you have any advice as far as uh, managing your time on projects? There's a Picasso quote that I really like, and I don't know the specific phrasing of it, but the idea is if you can work on three projects, work on two. And I think that's really simple and amazing advice, and I recommend it to everyone in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) I've tried really hard to work on less projects, and um, it's really difficult, but I think I'm slowly getting there, very, very slowly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard when you have so many projects. It's like a little bit of a mental buildup of like uh, constantly have this list of things to do. But yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I had to do is kind of let go of the idea that I would ever get in front of that and just come to terms with the fact that I will always have things to do and that's okay. And once I came to terms with that, I've been appreciating my work a little bit more. Cool. Well, we got a bunch of fan questions for you that I want to get to. Why don't we start with one from Andrew Gregoire. Uh, He asks, what's your favorite track that you've composed? I don't have one. That's the sad, the sad answer. That's just a really tough question. I mean, yeah. Okay, here I have a um, addendum. Okay that I ask some video game composers. If you had to listen to one of your tracks on repeat forever, what would that be? (laughs) Oh, man. Do I have to pick? I mean, do I have to (laughs) listen (laughs) to something forever? (laughs) That's terrible. (laughs) Maybe. Yep, that's your punishment. I mean, I would probably pick one of the really long ones, um, like, like eight from the level album or reflections from fez just something that's really long so that i can still have have a life (laughs) 
so in the game Fez, um, one thing that's kind of cool is when your character is either indoors or behind a wall or something, the music changes to be a little bit filtered and muffled. Mm-hmm. How did you implement that in the game? I didn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, the programmer did, Renault, and it was actually his idea, I think. But yeah, I think that's really cool. I, I like that feature a lot. Yeah. He used Exact, which is this Microsoft audio platform that is, I think it's defunct now, and it's it's really quirky, but Exact Audio has some runtime effects that you can use, and one of them is it has some built-in filters and stuff, so... I think cool. it's really, it's probably just a matter of doing some kind of detection of where the player was and then just like twisting a knob, but in real time. Cool. Another Fez question I was wondering about. Mm-hmm. When you pick up a cube, there's a note associated with it. Like eight cubes, eight notes in the scale, which mm-hmm. I thought was cool. Is that always in the same key? as whatever music's playing yeah so that's that was the thing that i requested and that we added to the music editor that we were using so the way that that works is that there's a scale that's tied to each song it doesn't have to be a linear scale like do re mi fa sol la ti do it doesn't have to be like that it can be anything so in some areas the scale is more like a melody so the first three cubes that you collect might be C, D, E, but the fourth cube might be C again, and the fifth cube might be B below that, and then the sixth cube might be whatever. So that I always had this harmonious sound, and I wasn't, it wasn't getting too dissonant, unless I wanted it to. One track from Fez that I really liked is Progress. Mm-hmm. Just the way you built that up over time and the inner rhythms behind that kind of like hemiolas, I guess. Or Yeah. So I had a central theme that I came up with, which was essentially a bunch of chords in a row. And then I came up with all these different versions for different times of the day. You know, there'd be maybe four tracks, one for dusk, one for dawn, one for day, and one for night. And I think at night it would get really sparse, and then during the day it would kind of heat up. Those are all designed to crossfade into each other seamlessly. And then actually moving between the different areas the tonality will shift and I had to be more diligent about how that would work because crossfading between different tonalities can sound weird sometimes but in in that particular track that entire piece is is based around a single tone that kind of runs underneath the entire track and then there's some kind of hemiola that's playing or, or ostinato or whatever I liked that in Fez also the track Continuum mm. had a little musical quote from Chopin. 
right? Oh, yeah, it's not a little musical quote. Oh, well, it's, I suppose, it's, the exact thing. <laughs> yeah, it's there's a chord missing at the end, I think, but it's pretty much one of Chopin's preludes, note for note. The original idea is Phil wanted to use Moonlight Sonata for the ending to Fez, and I felt like Moonlight Sonata was a little too popular and a little too... It didn't have the mood that I was envisioning, and Chopin's prelude in E minor is kind of a darker tune. I'm pretty sure it's the one that they played at his funeral. found a MIDI file of the song online that was just quantized to the grid and then I, I found a public domain performance of the piece that had a lot of rubato and tempo fluctuation and I tempo mapped the performance to that performance and then I tweaked it to fit how I wanted it. Oh cool. So I didn't actually play any of those notes. <laughs> that a couple times where I've taken a MIDI recording of an old classical piece and put some new synths on it yeah. <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> it is but. pretty fun. For a piano piece like Chopin, like that, it's maybe not too hard, but some other pieces, especially like something with more instruments, can be really challenging <laughs> to make it sound good. Yeah. I think the composers would appreciate that their music's Living on, maybe, in yeah, a weird way. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I, don't really, I don't really care what they think that much, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a couple more fan questions here. AJ Candy is wondering if you could explain the soundtrack puzzle from Fez. The answer yeah, is I, no. The answer is no. <laughs> okay. What, what is that? So in the Fez soundtrack, there are these images that are hidden, and you can only see them if you look at the soundtrack in a spectrograph. So those images correlate to a puzzle that unlocks something. And hmm. beyond that, I couldn't say because I actually do not know how to solve the puzzle. Huh. Um, Who created it? Phil Fish created the puzzle. Um, okay. Yeah. It was my idea to put it in there, but he ran with it, and I didn't bother to ask how to solve it. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Gregoire is also wondering, what software do you prefer? Logic Pro. And um, also, any B-sides from Fez that have yet to make it onto an album? No, I've actually released every single piece of music that I wrote for Fez. Although there, I guess there are some really rough snippets that I didn't use, but they're not even songs. They're just like, you know, eight-second ideas. Several of my friends were wondering... 
they've seen Indie Game, the movie, and uh, they're wondering what it's like working with Phil Fish. <laughs> um, he, of course, gets a bad rap kind of in that movie, but yeah. what's your side of the story? Uh, I like Phil. He's a good guy. And uh, we, we work together really well. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it, I guess. <laughs> sure. Yeah, there's not much, not a whole lot else I can say about that. Fan question here from the guys at Corridor Digital. Okay. They were wondering, how the heck did you organize such an amazing remix album for Fez? That was just a blessing, man. I, I, I think I emailed like 50 people to do remixes for the album, thinking that I'd only get like 20 people to say yes. And what turns out is that 98% of the people I emailed said yes. I was just blown away by that and super grateful that everything came together so well. And um, I guess reaching out to people early is really important when you're trying to make a remix album because video game composers get asked to do remixes all the time. Another fan question here from Dean Putney. He's insistent <laughs> that I ask you this. How did you get all that great hair? Are you starting a hair metal band? Yeah, uh, it's been a long time. You know, I've been slowly working at it, carefully grooming every follicle. And uh, yeah, the end goal will be to create the, the most rockin' hair metal band of all time. And Dean, nice. is, in, Dean, Dean is personally invited to be in that band. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. It's on record now. So. <laughs> Fan question from Josh Sullivan. Any schedule for the next Prague album? Interstellar is a masterpiece. Thanks, man. It, he's talking about Rise of the Obsidian Interstellar. He is. Right? Yeah. Okay. I guess that's the last Prague album I did, and that was back in 2008. I've got like three or four full-length albums that are chiptune, but also very progressive rock-influenced. Lots of through composition, lots of odd meters... from that and I don't know when I'll come back or if I ever will or what it will sound like I know that my next personal project at least what I think it's going to be is a solo album of songs I've been writing at the piano so you're gonna be singing on these songs and or what kind of songs are they so I went to Burning Man last year and I did a bunch of open mics and someone said that the music reminded them of Elvis Costello but I would say um, a lot of chords, like a lot of different colors. Sometimes I use too many, and it kind of takes away from the music. How's the lyric writing going? Oh, it's really freaking hard yeah. right, writing <laughs> lyrics. Um, it's funny because I, I've been writing music now for about 10 years, and um, up until the last six months or so, I had only written one song. Writing lyrics has never been something that... 
came to me as an impulse and I'm still struggling with it a little bit. I, I had, I was in a relationship last year and, and that ended and then I had inspiration to write about, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, I've just been focusing on these couple of songs that I wrote lyrics for and like tweaking them and trying to get to a place where I feel comfortable enough to start performing. Um, because I feel like I would like to be more connected just to other people in my community and, I feel like that's the best way that I could do that would be to perform. Cool. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you come up with. Thanks, man. Do you have any final advice to composers who are just getting started in the video game world? Any tips on doing this for a living? My advice would be to be open, but to be truthful to yourself and what you care about and to make yourself available to others. Just try to meet people and be friendly and don't be a jerk. You know, don't don't come on too strong. Yeah. That's what I would say. Well, Rich, great meeting you, and thanks again for being on the podcast here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Rich Freeland. For more of Rich's music, visit disasterpeace.com and Peace is P-E-A-C-E. I also have links to all the music you heard in this episode at composerquest.com slash disasterpiece. The January remix track you heard is called Rodeo on the Snow by Solidad. You can check out Solidad's EP Tapes from January at soundcloud.com slash Solidad. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I can spell it for you. S-A-L-I-D-A-D. Now, it's my pleasure to bring you another... I've been working on music for a puzzle game called Star Reaction for a while now, and I just finished the last track, which accompanies a stage with yellow lava lamp style art. I thought in this music production lesson I'd talk about my process of composing and mixing that I'm going to call Survival of the Fittest. A couple episodes back, songwriter Nathan Elliott talked about how one of his tracks had kind of outgrown the main bass line that originally inspired it, so he just cut it out. I ended up thinking that way with this video game track, and I'll go through the steps of my creative process. First, here's the idea that set the track in motion. Next, I came up with some simple chords to fill out the sound. Next, a sparse synth line. By this point, I was starting to get sick of my original idea. Not a good sign. So I thought, maybe I should just cut it out. This gave the sparse synth line some room to breathe and continue on into a more interesting melody. Finally, another idea came to me, which ended up being more rhythmically and melodically interesting than the previous ones. So for a B section, 
I pulled the other synth line down in volume and played this on top. Eventually, I decided to bring my original idea back for a little bit at the end of the track. But because I was willing to let that idea go, I was able to hear the mix from a different perspective and come up with better melodies. I often talk about mixing like painting, and I think this is the equivalent of painting over your base coat with more interesting ideas. So now, I'll leave you with my finished track, Kitrinos, which means yellow in Greek. (laughs) 